Hello, world. Welcome to this week's episode of Golf Subpar. Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz. One of us is here in studio, obviously. The other one's out living the high life in Bandon Dunes out in Oregon. Sleaze, how we doing, fella? Man, I'm hanging in there, Colty. I miss being with you this week, dude. And I am just moments away from making my debut here on the hallowed grounds of uh, Bandon Dunes. Going to go out and play a little Bandon Trails a little later today. The Coor Crenshaw design tucked in through the trees, a little less wind, no ocean. So uh, looking forward. I'm looking outside right now. It's blowing about 20, 25. Should shoot an absolute grizz load out there. So looking forward to it. Well, here's hoping so. But we got to talk about this past week's event on the PGA Tour, the second leg of the PGA Tour FedEx Cup playoffs. And John Rahm wins in a playoff over world number one, Dustin Johnson. How exciting was that? Dude, not just the fact that we got the world number one and two battling each other at the end, but the way it went down with those putts back-to-back, Dustin Johnson making the 40-footer. I mean, God knows what the what the percent make chance was of that. And then Rom, I thought, like, once Dustin made that, I was like, man, he's got all the mo. Rom probably thought he had this thing locked up, and he gets out there and makes an even better putt in the playoff hole. It was, it was wild, man. And we, the, the best news about it is the two best players in the world right now are one and two going into Eastlake, and it's going to be a beast. But I also thought Colt – TPC Boston took a lot of shit for how low those scores were and how, how, how much those guys got after it. What a change a one week makes. And I thought that golf course set up at Olympia Fields was unbelievable, dude. Yeah, and I, I think it's so unfair when people blame the golf courses just because you can't control Mother Nature. I mean, TPC Boston's a great golf course. They got a lot of rain and the greens were soft. You saw what happens when greens become firm and guys actually have to be in the fairway to control their iron shots. And Olympia Fields definitely shined this week. They, they got a lot of... A lot of flack back in the day in 2003 when they had the U.S. Open there that it was too easy. Um, it didn't represent a real U.S. Open. And then you go to a PGA Tour FedEx Cup playoff event where the weather is perfect for them to control the golf course the, the way they want it to. And four under par ends up getting in a playoff. It was awesome to watch. It just shows that you don't have to make golf courses 8,000 yards on the PGA Tour for it to give the best players in the world a lot of problems. Just make firm, fast conditions. And you'll see these guys really struggle. When, when you have to hit the ball in the fairway, you see the best players shine, and I thought it was absolutely awesome to watch this week. Yeah, couldn't agree more. It's, I don't think we'd want to see that every week. I know the players probably wouldn't want to see a setup like that every single week, but once every so often, Muirfield Village had it with Jack's tournament where that played really tough, really difficult. Now you got the BMW Championship this week. It's nice to get a little bit of these, you know, U.S. Open type setups uh, sprinkled in once in a while on the PGA Tour. Yeah, I totally agree with you, and congratulations to you. You did have the winner this week in the pool. Um, we are doing very, very good as a team. I'll be honest, the, the, the numbers are getting very close. We'll get into that a little bit later. But Sleaze, we got to congratulate our first ever guest on Golf Subpar, John Rom, getting another title for the team. Absolutely. For the brand, shout out to John Rom. That was massive. And due to do it, especially after he had that little hiccup, little, little incident there where he just went ahead and picked up his ball on the green without marking it. That'll happen. Although I can't believe it would happen in the PGA Tour. And I'm not sure John Rom's ever done that in his life. But uh, I was really glad to see that it didn't come down to like a one shot loss for him or losing in a playoff. That would have been a tough pill to swallow. But by the way, we got to give him a little shit. He uses a poker chip to mark his ball, which I think is a big foul in the first place. But how do you not realize your massive poker chip is not down there before you pick your golf ball up? That's a like, good question. On, He's the only guy to ever reach world number one. I bet that marks his ball with a poker chip. The thing is obnoxious. It should be banned from if you're world number one, you can't mark it with that. That's reserved for like four man scrambles. I hope he's the first and the last to ever be world number one with. with I don't the think poker there's chip. any question about that. I think he will be the first and the last. All right, Sleaze. Well, now it's time to get to our guest this week, and that is PGA Teacher and Coach of the Year for 2020, Mr. Mark Blackburn. 
How about that, Colty? We got the best in the business coming in here. If you're a golf nerd and you like golf information and want to know what the best teacher in the world has voted on by his peers thinks, this is a really, really cool interview. We dive deep into some of the uh, the golf, um, you know, philosophies of one of the best coaches in the world. And Salise, I've known Mark for a very long time, had the pleasure of working with him. But this episode, I tell you what, I even learned a lot sitting there and listening to him. So let's get right to it. Here is Mark Blackburn on Golf Subpar. Well, we are in the presence of greatness right now. Our next guest was recently announced as the 2020 PGA Teacher and Coach of the Year, the architect behind many of the great golf swings on the PGA Tour, the great Mr. Mark Blackburn. Thank you so much for being here, dude. Yeah, thanks for being here. First off, congratulations, by the way. That's my first time I've been able to tell you this in person, I feel like. I appreciate it. I did a little Instagram post, texted you a couple times. Yeah, that was very kind of you. Um, It's a big honor. You know, it's kind of not a coincidence, though, like... You know, Travis Matthew, before they signed me, was trying to sell for around $80 million, and they sold for 125 after they signed me. You know, you were a nominee for several years, and then we started working together, and bam! Yeah, Teacher Coach go. of the Year. I think there's a common thread here. You connect the dots there. Yeah. There could be something just there. Just saying. You know just I mean? saying. Colt's the catalyst. There he you could go. be the guy before the guy. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. And now I no longer work Travis Matthew, and I no longer play professional golf. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. And now every brand that he's affiliated with is blowing up. Perfect. Congratulations on that, though. That's a huge, uh, huge. How does that vote it on? How how do you like? How do they determine who wins that? So your section, so the PJ section you're in. I'm in the Alabama Northwest Florida section. They nominate you. Every section, I think there's 50 sections. They nominate someone for every national award if they feel like they're worthy, and then it goes to a bunch of votes and then committee, and you fill out a big application, and then you make the finals, and then you fill out more applications, and then your peers or a nominating committee then kind of go through everyone's resumes and they compare them and see who's the uh, the most fitting for the award. So I guess they ran out of people to give it to, so they gave no. it to me this and year. You are the most – is the best part of winning the award now when your students play bad, you can look at them and be like, dude, don't look at me. I'm the best teacher in the world. You got to look yourself <laughs> in the mirror, bro. I'm teaching you perfect. I haven't used that yet, but it's, I am going to keep that in my back pocket. Well, yeah. did you, do you get a phone call? Like, What's that phone call like? So – um, I kept getting this phone call from this number that I didn't recognize. And I don't answer my phone if you're not in my phone book. So I finally, one morning, I'm walking down to the basement to go work out. And it's like, this number just keeps calling me. So I'm like, hello, Mark, this is Susie Whaley. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I said, you've been, you've been calling me, haven't you? And she goes, I have. Anyway, so anyway, so she called me and she said, you know, congratulations. I wanted to personally let you know that you've won the National Teacher of the Year. We're super excited for you to represent the PGA, but you can't tell anybody other than your close family. Um, so I really didn't tell anybody. I told my wife. I told uh, Chappie and Chairs because they both wrote me a really nice letter. I had no idea they actually liked me that much. It's quite amazing. Uh, but other than that, I really didn't tell anybody. I did tell my mom and my brother, but it was didn't say anything. And then the announcement came out, and then my club were obviously really excited. Greystone in Birmingham, so it's kind of cool. I like the way they do that. It's just kind of a surprise. And when they make the announcement, you already know, but you see, so you're kind of prepared for what goes with it. How long do you have to sit on it without About telling anybody? A month, five weeks. Mm. I would have blown it. Yeah, Twitter. <laughs> you don't tell it a day. Don't worry, Mrs. Whaley. I will not tell anyone. Twitter. Guys, <laughs> you're never going to believe this. Please to announce I'm the best coach in the world. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, let's go back to the beginning. Like, how did you get involved in golf? So, when I first started, my dad played a lot of golf and I grew up in England. Uh, people say you're Australian. No, I'm English. I've just lived in the South for a long time. And 
golf was really one of those things. I played every other sport, loved sports. I spent more time outside playing sports than I did doing anything else. And I kind of got into golf later. My dad and my grandfather played. And then at one point, my grandfather, who my son's named after, Rex, said to me, he goes, well, you should really take golf seriously. You should, you know, enjoy playing. You could probably be pretty good at it. And then I kind of never thought of it that way. And then I did. And I just kept getting better and better. And then I ended up coming to the States on a golf scholarship. And I was never great, but I always aspired to be better and was one of the guys that the last on the range would outwork people, not necessarily the most gifted in the talent department, but would just keep plugging away. And so I kind of got into teaching because I was a... Uh, spent too much time at the weekends on the driving range on the mini tours getting well, beat by chad campbell and such a lot of people you're not by chad campbell yeah you ain't the only dude let's talk about that trip from london you come over from london you recruited to play offered a scholarship at southern miss you get off the plane from heathrow you land in hadesburg mississippi what is that culture shock like okay well so it has a twist to it so i actually got recruited to go to school in mobile so i went to school in mobile for a couple of years to do a baptist school and I thought, well, this isn't necessarily for me. And then a friend of mine was playing golf at Southern Miss and they had college football, big school. Uh, the school I went to in Mobile had like 3,000 students. You couldn't, it was like separate guys, girls. It was a, it was a great school. It just wasn't necessarily for me. And then I, there was opportunity and the coach at Southern Miss was like, hey, we got a spot. And then my buddy, Phil, who I grew up playing golf with in the UK, my club, he was there and I ended up, long story short, they recruited me and I ended up, that's how I got to Hattiesburg. So I'd had Hattiesburg via Mobile, Alabama. Mobile, Hattiesburg. Either the, way, it's a the long South. way yeah. from London. What's that like when you get off the plane and you're, here's Mobile, Alabama? Yeah, that's it's a different world. Very different. Yeah, 100%. I mean, but it's cool. I mean, it was the weather in England sucks. So my goal was come to America, play golf. I wanted to go back, try and play on the European tour. So I needed to go somewhere where I could play year round. Mobile, Alabama was really warm, hot. Climate was great. The coach, Terry Hopper, I still talk to him now. He's a great dude. I think he just had his 80th birthday or 79th. But anyway, he was a, I loved the coach. The school, the environment wasn't quite more the college experience I wanted. So that's why I ended up in the South because of the weather. Had you visited anywhere in the States before you made the decision when you committed to go to Mobile? Had you taken a trip and checked I it out? came to a golf tournament in Pine Needles, North Carolina. Mm. And there was a bunch of college coaches there. And that's how I ended up getting the scholarship. I had ended up with a few offers and one of them was Old Dominion. And I was like, no, the weather. I looked where that was and the weather. And I was like, no, I'm not doing where that. Where is Old Dominion? I actually don't know. It's, it's like it's in the Rhode older Island, part of Dominion. Virginia, like north, yeah. the north. So anyway, I was like, I'm not going to do that. It gets cold. So that's how I ended up in Mobile and then the south. So, And I'm a big fan of the south. So yeah, there you obviously. go. So you had to blend in nicely. Yeah, had to blend in nicely. Yeah, it was very different culture shock, and I found myself most of the time. People would say, "Could you say that again?" And I'd have to talk in an American accent, which I'm really bad at, but I've got a good country accent now. Mm, I like it. We might have to hear that. You you played professionally for a little bit. Yep. How many years until you decided this isn't for me? About two years, and I got injured. Like mm -hmm. the I had a wrist injury, and I'd always gravitated towards teaching, and I'd always been pretty good at the golf swing and looking at it and I had books and books and books and I'd spend all my time looking. Ledbetter was a big influence when I was a kid because obviously he was, I spent a lot of time in England. So I'd read a lot of books and I was more familiar with that. And I'd always, that's what I would try and do when I was playing golf. And it got to the point where 
it was much easier for me to see what other people were doing versus figure out what the heck I was doing. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what transitioned. I got injured and then I had to fund what I was doing. I was living in a cart barn. It's an interesting story. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And um, so I was trying to fund buying groceries, blah, blah, blah. And teaching was just easy. And I'd go out for a 30 minute golf lesson. I'd come back two hours later and the head pro just be laughing at me, shaking his head. But I loved it. Still love it. And that's kind of how it, and it blossomed into that. And then lots of the players that I played with obviously knew that I was into the golf swing because they'd see me practicing with all these trinkets and different things on the range and that kind of, that's how it snowballed. And I, I just got into it. I enjoyed it. I was good at it. It was really relatively pretty easy. Who was the first PGA Tour player you worked with? Heath Slocum. So DJ Nelson, mm-hmm, who, mm-hmm. Of uh, one of the best men in my wedding with my brother, he um, and I played mini tours. We traveled. In fact, I need to probably thank DJ sponsors because he funded my most of my mini tours. He had a really nice Tahoe paid for by um, his sponsors. He stayed in nice hotels and he was gracious enough to let me stay with him a lot of times while I was still living in a car mine. So if it wasn't for him, I would not really have played mini tours. But I also realistically would not have had a choice, a chance to work with Heath. And DJ basically said to Heath, look, Mark's teaching a bunch. Heath and I knew each other. Um, he was at school in Mobile at South Alabama when I was at University of Mobile. And basically, Heath asked me in 2004, I believe, or maybe 05 to come to New Orleans, help him with his golf game. And then he won that year and it kind of snowballed from there. So both Heath and DJ Iowa a huge debt of gratitude to. Oh, they were the first guys yeah. that kind of took a chance on me. And typically, you know how it is in our world of golf. Everybody wants to work with a renowned teacher. Not many people are willing to take a chance on, hey, this is a young guy. He's ambitious. And I, mean, I can still remember it. Looking back at it, I took all my stuff to New Orleans. I'm the geek swing kid on the range. It's like unbelievable. <laughs> but, you know, you, you're naive at the time and you don't know any difference. And so it, it worked out great. And he's, you know, taking a bit of a break from golf he's still playing a little bit but we had a great run and that led me into lots of other relationships so i one of my best friends along with dj love him to bits and i owe them a lot get back quickly because i want to hear just a little bit more about this how did living in the cart barn come about and how long did you live there okay so when i finished well college my sponsors were from north alabama um i'd met them through a girl i was dating at the time and essentially, they said to me, we'll give you a place to practice and play there on a golf course. And then I was up there and I needed to find somewhere to live. And then one of the superintendents at the time said, well, we've got this big open room above the uh, maintenance shed. It's really the maintenance shed. It's not even as nice as the car park. <laughs> There's this open room. But if you want to paint it, it's got a bathroom in there. It's got a sink. You can fix it up. So anyway, yours truly painted it up fixed it up. And I lived there probably for about, I had it for about a year. And when I was playing, I was transient. The only bad thing was if you went out on a Friday or a Saturday night and you consumed <laughs> a little too much, they still have to mow greens really early in the mm. morning. So they tend to roll those doors up at about five o'clock and you're not very good. So thankfully I graduated out of there after about a year, but yeah, I had a year of it. It was great. Was the girlfriend impressed with your digs? <laughs> No, because no, no, no. Good thing you had a girlfriend. No, It'd be hard to pull. A but no, no, no. Back, but this, this is funny. So that girlfriend, I played golf too much and I traveled too much. And I was out, 
but one of her best friends growing up is now my wife, Melissa, um, who Colt knows very well, mm-hmm. and I would never let Melissa go to the <laughs> maintenance yet. Uh, so she never saw – she did see it one time, but it was uh, – yeah. It was, at least you had a girlfriend, dude, pulling a different – going to the bar and be like, want to come back to my place? Sure, where is it? It's the cart barn over yeah. there. We should probably go back There's to There's a yours. couple chickens that live downstairs, but don't, don't worry oh, about that. So, oh, that's hilarious. That's good. I had no Let's idea. get into some of your teaching, though. I mean – Obviously, you teach a lot of PGA Tour players. You've you've worked anywhere from obviously Heath Slocum, Boo Weekly, Chez, Reeve, Kevin Chapel, friends of the program, the Seagull, Charlie Hoffman. Yeah. But one of the things that's always impressed me with great golf instructors is the range they have. Like how you can go work with a Chez Reeve, and then the next hour go over to someone that's just picked up the game. Can you explain to me how the hell you trick your mind into going from one of the best players in the world to someone that can't break a hundred? Yeah, well, I tell everybody, if you want to coach golf, you need to coach a lot of really bad golfers because there's no substitute for being in the trenches. So if you think about it, we all play golf and we all want our golf ball to go pretty straight. The golf ball, the golf club, all you're ever really trying to do is put the club on the golf ball and have a pretty predictable shot. So when you work with bad golfers, you generally have to have a quick fix really quickly. You get really good at the club face what they need to do to make the ball go straight. That skill set's really important working with you guys on the PGA Tour because when someone's struggling, you need to be able to get control of their golf ball for them really quickly. So the principles are the same. I look at it, okay, what's the golf club doing? What's the person doing? How does the person move? But I really, I try and separate and take out the personality and the person because a lot of club golfers, you know, can be very challenging. A lot of successful professionals in the business world are just as egotistically driven as tour players. So I try and separate that and just look at what's the golf club doing? What's the golf ball doing? What's their body doing? How is that matching up? And I enjoy teaching. The challenge of teaching golfers that are really bad is you want to make them good really quickly. And the challenge of teaching tour players is you need to be able to help them get control of their golf ball so they can go play and they can be confident. So they're both challenging and they kind of work your mind. So I enjoy bad golfers and good golfers because they're they're always a challenge and a critical thinking exercise. I just enjoy that problem-solving part of it. How does your teaching differ from like with, with different personalities? Like for instance, take two guys you work with right now. You got Ches Reeve, you got Charlie Hoffman, right? Let's say they both come to you nice, and they both- Nice, not nice. You got, you got the nicest <laughs> dude on the planet and then you got the Perfect. gull who's just flying around mm-hmm. shitting on people. Let's say they both come to you, they have, both have the exact same issue with their golf swing. How does it- how does your teaching differ based on like their personalities? Like, do you have to explain things differently? To yeah. Them or, or, so like, I so I tell I create a vernacular with every single player I work with. Like, so some people they want things very factually. They want things you know pretty specific. Some people like analogies. They like stories. They like metaphors. So you have to figure out how does that person process the information. I also look at or oh, how do you move because everybody's body's different, and so. If two people want to fade the golf ball, there's different ways for them to do it based on how they move. Now, Charlie and Chez are completely different. Chez wants to hit nice high push draws that generally go very, very straight, as we all know. And Charlie likes to hit fades, but hits every shot. So they're both shaped differently as well. So you're trying to build all those things. So I always look at what does the person want the golf ball to do? And then how do they move? And then how do they process information? Some people like technical and some people it's the worst thing you can possibly do. So you know, some of the vernacular I use is not suitable for the show, but I different people gravitate to the way you convey information differently. And some people like crude toilet humor, Charlie, Chappie. Some people like things a little bit more where I would say traditional, where they want what's going on, 
they kind of chairs they're still a mic weir they're just a little bit different so but it's all about how do you push the person's buttons colt's probably in the middle of the road um, he posted information pretty good, but everybody's everybody's different. You're always trying to figure out how do you push that player's buttons and how do you make the connection. I tell everyone, connecting to the player is the most important thing because it's their livelihood, especially at a high level. You're trying to get their trust so that they will do what you ask them to do. What about feedback? Like, do you, does some guy re react better to like positive reinforcement? Hey, you're getting close and that sort of thing. And some guys react better when you like kick, kick them in the nuts out. a little yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah, so I would say... A lot of times I could probably have done a bad job. So we learn from things of being probably too much Bobby Knight at times. And you ask players what they want and they tell you. And generally when the player tells you that they want this is they actually want the complete opposite. So I try and figure out, you've got to be a chameleon. I tell everybody to be a great coach, you've got to change. I've been to strip clubs with some players and I've been to church with others. Who? <laughs> the first one we don't really care about the, straight on the second part no right. names I mentioned focus right now Mark. Uh, <laughs> I love it but one of your players Ches Reevy who we talked about a lot I feel like the the average listener at home can probably relate to a lot more than say a Dustin Johnson or Gary Woodland I mean your average business guy at home that's a 15 handicap not going to be able to do the things Dustin Johnson does but Ches Reevy's a guy who's had an unbelievable career multiple winner on the PGA Tour but yet he doesn't overpower golf courses he doesn't you know, have that wow factor, but yet he keeps getting it done year after year. What is something the guys at home could learn from a guy like Ches Reevy? Yeah, I think you just have to embrace what you do. So every player has a personality. So I tell Ches, Ches is like Floyd Mayweather. Ches doesn't going to knock anyone out with a big punch, but he's going to... Hold on real quick. Never, Hold on real quick. That's not what the Floyd Mayweather team. spends his money a lot quicker than Ches Reevy does. Ches and Floyd are not two oh, guys God. I thought would be Stop. in the same sentence in this podcast. Okay. okay. I like Sorry to interrupt so you. So you can spit that. Ches, if you're watching, I'm, yeah. oh, that's, that's not great. me. That's them. Okay. So I use the analogy. Floyd Mayweather doesn't knock people over. He just jabs people to death and he wins and he makes people basically wins on technical knockout, right? That's Chez on a golf course. He's precision. Like he's going to put the ball in play, sneaky longer than you'd think, and then he's just an incredible iron player. Like, and he's aggressive. Sometimes he's like a little too aggressive, too many jabs, right? But it's like we try and build a score. Every player is different. And so for him, he's got – control of what he's doing. He puts the ball in play and leaves the ball in the right position. And he's very disciplined. I would say the most important thing for most golfers is they're reckless. If you want to be a good player, it's, there's a lot of discipline that's involved. And you watch Dustin Johnson or Brooks Kepka, Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods, and the stuff they do, well, they're physically, just, they're the top 1% of the 1% on the planet. So when you see them being aggressive, that's just not what the average golfer needs to do. The average golfer Good scoring is the compounding of small gains over every single hole. Just put the ball on the green and two putt. If you put the ball on the green from 180 yards and two putt, you're going to be strokes gained positive on the PGA Tour. Not a lot, but a little bit. You do that over 18 holes, that's how you shoot low scores. And Ches is just masterful at doing that. Chappie's really good, very disciplined at that as well. So that's one of the things that everyone should figure out is what's your strength and how do you play golf? And you should just go after that. Isn't it? But like, I mean, you see the guys, all they talk about on TV is Bryson DeChambeau, how far he's hitting it, how far Rory hits it and stuff like that. I think what Chez does is even more impressive because he's the anomaly in, in this game and he's making it work where, you know, he's, he doesn't do it the way everyone else does it. Yeah, no. And your recipe for success is going to be different. He knows that he has to put the ball in play 
and then he's going to hit really, really good iron shots. And his, I'd argue his 5-4 iron, 6 iron are probably as good as some players' wedges or 9 irons. And you guys play more golf with him than I do, but I watch him play a lot. So he's really proficient at that. And that's just what he has to do. Make sure he puts the ball in the right position so he can attack based on his strength. And golf's definitely changing. It's a it's like tennis changed, right? Tennis evolved. Golf's the same thing. It's the further you smash it, Bryson's just exemplifying that now. And Tiger, when he first came out on tour, there's a massive distance bias. We've talked about that plenty of times. Yeah, but I think everyone at home wants to hear that. Like, I mean, in my opinion, I don't think you'll see too many young kids coming from college onto the PGA Tour that play golf the way Ches Reeve does. No, there'll always be an anomaly because there's going to be people who are just gifted at playing the game and great ball strikers. But there's such a distance bias now. People smashing it is just... 180 plus ball speed the kids in college so you go watch a college event they're all smashing it the really good ones are all over 180 ball speed colin morikawa might be and he's faster than you think yes they're absolutely smashing it i mean matt wolf is kind of yes his swing is different but his ball speeds what he does there's plenty of college golfers that do that so that's what's coming we know more now about generating speed. We're about, don't worry about where it goes when you're a kid. Our junior programs, hit it as hard as you possibly can. Smash it. Just absolutely kill it. Because the correlation to earnings is f- and world rankings is far more indicative with driving distance than any other stat. Because you're having a shorter club into the hole, you're going to be able to attack the hole and golf courses, the typical golf course you play. So they played Boston, they're playing Olympia this year you, this is, and major championships. Hitting the ball a long way is hugely, hugely beneficial because that's what's going to give you a shorter club in, which is going to allow you to have a higher angle of descent, which is allowed you to get more control, keep the ball below the hole, easier putts. Like it's a very much of a knock-on domino effect. People don't necessarily think of that, but smashing it, until they roll the ball back or do something else, which they shouldn't, because the great thing about golf is it you can go into your pro shop and buy a Titleist Pro V, the same golf ball that Ches Reeves playing or that Jordan Spieth's playing or Adam Scott's playing, and you can play the same golf courses, which is what makes golf unique and why we all love it so much. But with that push for like distance right now, which we're seeing more than ever, you got Bryson doing what he's doing, all the DJ, just what he did this past week, you know, 30 under, are you seeing more of your students coming to you? Like I need some more ball speed. Like, is that, is that an emphasis for the guys that are already on the PGA tour and do hit it a long ways, but they're like, I need more. Yeah, definitely. And some people have the speed, but they're not scared, but they're apprehensive to use it because we all grew up in a culture of, you have to hit the ball pretty straight. Hitting it in the rough doesn't matter if you've got a short club where you can create spin, like a wedge out the rough, assuming the rough is not like hay, is going to be a lot easier to get it closer to the hole than it is going to be with a forearm that's 200 yards, 225, 30 yards back. And so I think that the more of that, you're going to see more and more of that and everybody wants to hit it further. Charlie is a good example of that, right? The seagull, not to give him a compliment, (laughs) but... Charlie's like been playing golf with a V6, but he's really got a V8 or a V12 in, in the, under the hood. So now he realizes, hey, I got to open it up. And I do a lot of work at TPI and they're part of Charlie's team. And we were there a couple of weeks ago and we're like, great, all the stats. We're showing Charlie driving distance is the correlator, right? 
and Charlie can get it up to 126, 127, no oh problem. Oh, God, really? So, yeah. So He needs to do that. 100%. But again, it's that in your mind, it's like, well, is that going to make it go sideways? Well, actually, Charlie's 3D numbers, his trackman delivery, everything is better when he goes faster. It's more dynamic. So, yes, everybody, a, that's what people want. Colt's seen all the technology we have, 3D, force plates. People want to hit it further. Hitting it further, the, the physics of that is not that hard. The tough part is whether people can trust it and be willing to do it. So you say you say Charlie can get to 126. Obviously, that's going full bore, all out. Like what before you started doing this? What like what would he be at in tournament competition? Well, he was 115, and then he sent me a screenshot wow. this week of. And when Charlie came on tour, he was one of the longest mm-hmm. hitters. That's a lot. That's 10, 11 miles an hour. Yeah. So then he. Um, sent me a screenshot Saturday morning before he played at Boston and he goes, we're getting it. And he showed me the radar numbers. And I think one was 119 and maybe one was 120. And he goes, I still got more. So again, it's like he, we talk about, he's got like a cruising speed at the moment. So he played on a Wednesday evening in a, you know, those little four man mm-hmm. sort of scrambly things they do for charity. And Cameron Champ was playing and Champ, the, the, the thing is the 12th or 13th, 12th hole, that downhill one where they had the stupid 12. fairway bunkers, they got rid of him. And the So him and Champ, I'm sure Cameron probably hit it off the bottom. Sorry, Charlie. But <laughs> they were they were neck and neck. Charlie, Cameron was about 311. Uh, Barnsley shot with a laser and he was about 313. So Charlie claims he won. Um, but he was up there with him and the others were back. So he's, he's got it in there. So that's, you, it's seeing yourself do it, right? We, you know, you want to create a fact in practice so that you believe that you can do it. And once you've done it, now you have the confidence you can stand up there and do it again. And so I tell all my members swing really hard. Golf clubs now are really golf balls and golf club technology, make it really easy to hit it pretty straight. So a 10-year-old golfer that shows up at one of your academies and has never played golf or just beginning in golf, you're teaching that kid, let's learn to hit it as far as you can first and foremost. We'll learn to hit it straight later. 100%. And it's completely different with different things. Like I like doing martial arts and that's slow to learn something. Golf is – and then you then you get the speed as you get more proficient. Whereas golf is I'm all about let's get it going a long way let's learn to create speed and energy and then I'll teach you how to make it go straight afterwards but do you think that's good for the game because earlier you said like obviously you can hit it closer with a wedge out of the rough than you can a five or six iron out of the fairway like do you think the way this is going this is good for the game of golf I just think athletes evolve I mean if you look at Roger Bannister in the four minute mile and then you look at what people do now if you look at Usain Bolt and then you look at other people it's just like it's evolution, right? And we get better. I would like to think us that are on the – we're not the ones that hit the shots. So by no means the coaches can take the credit. It's all the player. They're the one in the battle doing the stuff. But you'd like to think that the ancillary people behind, we're better at coaching, we're better at conditioning, we're better at creating athletes, and golfers are becoming more athletic. I mean, look at Dustin Johnson. He's a full-on athlete. Mm-hmm. And when golfers – look like that and I think they're going to from a younger age and they look more like baseball players, those guys are going to look relatively the two hundred mile an hour ball speed thing will not be anything that's unnormal. I think it will be what well, one eighty is now one eighty five. I think it's just a matter of time. Unless there is a 
rollback, which I don't think they necessarily should be. I mean, I just think everyone should just get on with it. Just another yeah. reason I'm happy I'm sitting right here. It's changed. Like you said, when I grew up, you when you grew up, it was like, hit, you got to hit it straight. Got mm-hmm. You can't do anything if you, unless you, that's all I learned to do as a kid was hit it straight. And now it's like opposite. Just hit as hard as you can. We'll figure out how to hit it straight. And Mark Brody, you're like, there's the further forward you are, there's a, and I don't know exact math on this, but there's a correlation to like, offline relative to how far you go, assuming it's inside the out-of-bounds stakes, right? So if it's in a hazard or it's out-of-bounds, it's irrelevant. It's not useful. But rough is, the further down there it is, the rough becomes really, they tried to change the grooves to sort of offset that, but players are too good. I mean, imagine if you knew that you are going to hit it like Bryson. You'd figure out, okay, well, maybe I need to put in a 70-degree wedge. Like, there's ways around it, like just because simple math and physics to be like, okay, well, I can offset that. I might be in the rough, but if I'm delivering enough loft, now I'm going to get the ball coming in soft enough. Yeah, and when, you, when you're out at a PJ Tour event, you walk up and down the range, and there's tons of teachers there working with a bunch of different students and all this. Do you all ever say, like, say you have a player that's struggling and you can't get through to him. Do you ever reach out to, say, another teacher and be like, could you maybe take a look at my guy or maybe or maybe bounce ideas off other coaches? Yeah, I think there's a lot more sharing that goes on than you would you would think. And you you're always asking questions to try and help your people. So the the players that you've got, your goal is you want them to play better. Like we're all pay well, I'm paid on commission. So if my guys don't play very well, I'm not making any money. So I don't think it's sorry. i don't i don't but you you're investing in the player like you take players on because you believe they're like a stock you think they're underperforming and then you think that you can get them to perform better if you're competent at what you do so i have no problem with that but at the same time you're you're asking other instructors if some certain coaches are good at certain problems i think they're good with certain types of personalities. So if you have somebody that might be slightly out of your wheelhouse that you, you've you kind of ended up coaching, it'd be foolish not to ask those people. And if you look at surgeons and the medical world, they consult each other all the time. But the trouble in golf, there's a lot of egos involved, so people will get bent out of shape. And I try and be relatively objective about it. Certain coaches are really good at some things, and I think they're not good at others. I think I've got some strengths. I know I have some weaknesses. So there's certain players and personalities that you're going to do well with. It'd be really silly not to ask other people. And we spend a lot of time waiting around for our players that are going to... He's very good about being on time. Others aren't. Others aren't. So there's time to interact and ask questions. And these phones are fantastic. You pull it up. Hey, what do you think of that? And, And I think that that's a good and a healthy thing because... That helps everyone play better. That's interesting, though. I'm glad you asked that question because I was going to ask that, too. But there's no, like, the PGA Tour is extremely competitive. I would assume that it's somewhat the same in the teaching level, teaching world, because there's only a certain amount of you guys that are that players will trust with their golf swing. So if you had a player that wasn't playing well, you would walk over to so-and-so, John Doe, coach, and be like, hey, can you take a look at my guy? I'm not sure what he's doing. I can't, I'm not really getting through to him. And he, you, you would be willing to do that? Yeah, and I think the good thing for me is I have a team of really good instructors in Birmingham, too. So we look at video a lot. Like, I'll be, what do you think of that? And I spend a lot of time dealing with folks in the science world. And I run it. I try and check, double check, do my due diligence. Does it hold up to scientific principle? Can they physically do it? So there's a lot of people that I'm always consulting before I might give a player a really simple cue like, hey, we need to move the ball back or you need to try and get it a little flatter. I'm not going to come to those decisions by just saying it and throwing something up on the wall. It's always going to be based on, okay, it's a 
everything is, there's no absolutes, right? They call it practicing medicine. We're practicing golf instruction. Some other instructors might say otherwise, but that's the reality. It's a best guess scenario based on all the information we have. So at some point you're, okay, I've done my due diligence. Here I'm going to go. And sometimes you players call and they want to work. Then you go, I'm not the right guy, but you should see this person because they're really good at this. That's interesting. I wouldn't have thought that. I have a, I have a question. Are you a guy that when you go home after a day's work, can you can you turn the brain off away from golf? Or are you always constantly thinking of ideas or? Yeah, I'm probably pretty bad about. I'm <laughs> probably pretty bad about. Like, do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and be like, "Oh, Ches should I got do it. this"? Ches yeah, sometimes. Stinks. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm. I'll always go grab something. I'll be in the kitchen, and I'm. I like to cook, right? Because you can actually create something and finish it. Golf golf games are never finished, but. I'll be picking up a knife and I'll be cutting something and then I'll be doing something and Melissa will look at me and go, what are you doing? Anyway, so yes, I'm always <laughs> thinking about it. But I think that that's, if you're into helping people and problem solving, your brain's always racing. Like you're always trying to figure out, and you may be the, I might be out on a run and then I might think of something, well, that would really help Chez, yeah. Like that, just how it goes. Your brain's always running. And obviously technology has really, really started to take a big part in instruction in the last decade or so 100 percent. do you think it's almost too much now like players get too much information yeah so that's a great point so like the point of golf is to score so i think we've lost that in some respects Mm -hmm. the person that gets the ball in the hole the quickest is the best player so as a golf coach there's teaching and coaching but as a coach my goal is to help you build something that will allow you collectively your whole game to score better Technology has been really good at analyzing what we do to the smallest amount. But sometimes it's like paralysis by overanalysis. So technology is great. I'm a massive fan of it, especially with a club golfer, because the feedback is huge. Most good players can tell you what they're feeling and their fields are pretty accurate. They're they're pretty spot on. Not always, but generally pretty good. The club golfer couldn't find their ass with a banjo. Like they they're just never heard that. I like it though. Banjo. I'm perfect. I'm gonna write that down. So for them, technology is really useful because it's a great feedback tool for them, for them to be able to see, feel, do. So technology gets a bash and that's not for technology expedites the learning curve for everybody. If it's used in the right way. Now, if you are solely reliant on technology and you're standing behind it and you're not even looking at the student, because remember, teaching is a human interaction, but you're not watching it and you're looking down at a screen and you don't even see the ball and you go, oh, yeah, well, you did this. And the reality, no, it didn't because the machines have error. That's no good. Mm. But technology is a really useful tool. I think it gets bashed by the old guard a little too much. Mm-hmm. I think it gets bashed by some media too much. But it's really a tool. And I tell everyone, would you rather go have surgery now? with a doctor, because I make the analogy with medicine all the time, because the medicine's always evolving. Would you rather have surgery now or 10 years ago? I'd certainly rather have it now because there are advances. It's just the same in our world of, Fair point. Of, of technology. And I think it's one of those things, it's all about the person that is delivering the information. If you go have surgery, or one of your family members do, and it's a really serious surgery, the doctor doesn't come out and start talking to you in anatomical terms and what happened. They just make it really simple and they... That's what the job is. A good teacher can take the information or coach and make it very simple so somebody can go play golf and execute golf shots and be empowered to believe that they can accomplish what they need to do. 
let me ask you this about your teaching philosophy. Like there, there are guys that are teachers that I've worked with that are Butch Harmon disciples or Mac O'Grady disciples, right? Guys that they pull from their philosophies and they use a lot in their own teachings. Do you have a guy that you look at, like maybe a former teacher or a current teacher even, that you say, that's the guy and I pull a lot of what I teach from that guy? It's a great question. So I would say I am like a musical mutt, somebody that likes rap, country, folk music. They have lots of influences, right? They enjoy that's me. I never had one mentor. I had lots of people that were very instrumental to me, but I ne I kind of have gone from everywhere. I haven't had one person. So my original background was kind of in the golfing machine, very technical. Then I kind of spent some time with Mac O'Grady. Um, everybody gets out with Mac O'Grady. I did leave on my own terms. And <laughs> then I spent a lot of time, my degree in college was exercise science. So kind of had that. And then I met Greg Rose and Dave Phillips at TPI so kind of had the body part. So before matchups were matchups and all these other things, that's kind of, I was looking at, well, if you do this physically, you're going to likely to do this with the golf swing. And so I would say I'm pretty agnostic. When I present, I put up a big slide of like a mosque, a Catholic church, a Baptist place. Like I'm like a mix. I'm very agnostic. I wouldn't say I've had one. I've had lots of people who've been wonderfully generous with their time and have been a big influences, but it, it'd be unfair to say there's one person. The problem with that is I got too many people to mention. Where is Michael Grady? Do you know? He's probably in, um, in Palm Springs or maybe in Japan. I don't know. But he, I learned a lot from Mac, and I think he's a, he has such a big influence on so many things we still see today. But technology has evolved the game and style, and what looks pretty isn't necessarily what's the most efficient and there's always it's all about how do you generate speed and energy look at long drivers do they look graceful do they look pretty no we learn a lot that population and until there's a change hitting the ball a long ways very beneficial look at the long drive population the average golfer at a club should just look at the long drive population to see okay well if i want to hit it further i need to swing further i need to let my body turn i need to do these other things done I think, do it. I think I'm going to do it. Mac O'Grady and Anthony Kim are playing the greatest game of hide and seek in the golf world. <laughs> Any two humans on the planet. Every dude is like, well, I heard yeah. he was here, but yeah. he might be over here. No one knows where they're Nobody at. knows, Nobody but knows. everybody wants to know. All right, Sleaze, so is it time for Emergency Nine? Or you, you got yeah, we can fire out? that. Yeah, I'm absolutely ready. All right, Mark. Is it, is it my lead or your lead? Well, we, we'll start out the one. Um, we do this with every guest. Nine fun questions. Okay. Not too serious. We got rid of all the serious stuff. Right, right. We learned a lot. I learned actually. a shitload. Yeah, I'm probably pretty boring versus most no, of your is, guests. I learned a shitload today. No, I like this. I feel like I got better. I'm going to start swinging like a long drive, dude. That's all I took away from today. You want to hit it further? Do that. All right. Start us off, Salise. Number one. All right. Number one. We ask this to everybody. If a movie were, be, were to be made about your life, what actor would you want to play you? You can pick anyone, dead, alive. Whatever. We've had a wide range. Wow, that's a great question. I think our last guest, Sean O'Hare, picked Old Yeller. <laughs> that's the most, that was actually what he said. <laughs> he was like, he was the most I don't depressing know, man. I hate myself. I'll be Old Yeller. Oh, man. Um, We've had John Daly say Matt Damon, Gary Woodland say Denzel Washington. So there's no so right or wrong answer here. You, yeah, you and we both give our opinion, too. Yeah, I got a good one for you, I think. You do? Yeah, but I want to hear you. Anthony Hopkins. Ooh. Oh, all right. All right. Class act, Anthony mm. Hopkins. Good you want to go or you want me to go? Yeah, this is where I give you a huge compliment, by the way. <laughs> oh. I have no idea why. Couldn't figure it out. Daniel Craig. Mm. 
Mm, yeah. Double O. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Double yeah, O. Yeah. Got the accent. You don't even have to. Yeah. You don't even have to learn. I how did to go. Do that. Yeah, I went British and all that. And yeah, you got to go British. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. good. I'll take that as a compliment. That that's is good. That is quite nice. For I heard me. women I think he's handsome. Yeah, there Mine's you go. In a similar vein to that one. I'm gonna go Jason Statham, and I would ah. like to preface that by saying. Either one of these guys that plays you, you're going to need to get in the gym a little bit. And that's not <laughs> up to you. You obviously take care of yourself, but you got some work to do. Some HGH or something needs to be in play. All right. Number two. Right now on the PGA Tour, you got Ches Reavy, Kevin Chappell, the Seagull, Charlie mm-hmm. Hoffman. I need you to rank them in order of most high maintenance. One, two, three. Oh, no. Mm. Yep, you got to. <laughs> I think I know. I want to hear They're all tied first. <laughs> <laughs> They're all queens. Okay, who's the easiest? Ah, oh, they're all they're all easy in their own way. And they're all difficult in their own way. Correct. This is a very political <laughs> political Perfect. answer. Uh, I like that. But that, and I will say this, right? Like the players you end up working with, just like Colt, they be you don't start their business relationships, but you end up developing and you think of them. I think of them a bit like my kids. So the things that you don't necessarily initially like about them, you end up, man, it's kind of their nuances of how they are, and everybody is different to how you perceive them. And they're all very – all those three guys are super generous, super fun to be around, um, but they're all equally as high maintenance in their own way. But Charlie's a disaster. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll end that. No. <laughs> uh, all right. Kidding. All right. Next question. Give me one American slang word you use all the time and one English slang word that you still use to this day. Oh, no. Are you a y'all guy? Y'all. I use y'all a lot. Mm-hmm. I like y'all Fi- in an English accent. Y'all and fixing. Fixing too, yeah. Um, I can't. Oh, there's plenty of English ones I use, but they're not suitable for mm-hmm. here. No, they're all suitable. <laughs> I heard a good one the other day that I'd never heard before. When someone's like under the gun, under pressure, guys called it under the pump. Is that a common thing or did he make that up? Under the kosh would be another one. Under the kosh. What is the kosh exactly? <laughs> Just it's an expression, okay. under the kosh. Um, I would say, uh, no, I'm... D- under the cosh is fine. I'm not okay. I'm not going to use any. There's some words, okay, that they're used in the U.S. Like you're just saying something that's pretty uh, non, it's not a, a, offensive. Wanker would be one that gets said a lot. That's not a word that you should really say very much. Is wanker bad if you say it to someone it's, in yeah. London? Like how offensive is that on a 10 scale? Yeah, it's not. Six? Yeah, I mean, it's not. If you call someone a wanker. If I'm gonna start saying it. If you call someone a wanker, that's not great. All right, all right. We'll, we'll start. But people that. say all the time. They're like, they'll just. Oh, there's make... so many good words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not okay. suitable for this. Wanker. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll work that into our next one. Our next one. Sure. Sean O'Hare was a little bit of a He's wanker. A bit of a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> in a literal sense. <laughs> yeah. Like Figuratively <laughs> and literally. I oh, you, son. there right. we go. Okay. Which ranking system is more inaccurate? The official World Golf rankings or the top 100 teachers list <laughs> uh i would i gotta be really careful here i think they could probably they're both uh they're both the best we have right now <laughs> what, a, what an answer That's all fair. right whatever <laughs> next question okay next the question. top 100 teachers are fantastic and the top 100 players are fantastic that's well said can't argue that they should be mixed up a little bit maybe juggle that around now, a little bit that's probably up for debate. I'm sure some people would say the same thing. Okay, fair enough. All right, this is a little philosophy I want to, I'm willing to give to you to use to your pupils. So the big 
the big thing that's tough to to simulate in golf practice is being under the gun, under the Kosh. under the pump, under the kosh or the pump, With right? Adrenaline and all that. Do you think it is a good idea when practicing to drink three Red Bulls right before you go out there and then start practicing putting? Is that a good way to simulate what it's like under the kosh? Because I did it, and I think it's a pretty good method that nobody's utilizing, and I want to give it to you, being that you're the teacher of the year, and I think it could add to what you do. Well, if you're someone that doesn't get amped up, then it's probably a bad thing. If you're someone that gets highly amped up, it's probably a very effective training tool, yes. I think you're spot on. Maybe Mm. use that with some of your boys. Maybe the seagull would like to try that out (laughs) one time, next time he's under the gun. (laughs) All right, well, staying on the topic of the sleaze, you've seen him play some golf. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I have. Which current or former tour player... Does his swing or just golf game in general remind mm. you of? Oh, who did I call? I, I called it one time. That's we played question. golf. I said it's. I um... believe you said Troy Merritt. Yes. Mm, I was looking for Rory McIlroy. That's incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one I get a lot. Are you still sticking Coach. with Troy Merritt? You almost won a couple weeks ago. I was world number one for a week, dude. You did. I heard. I did hear a rumor that you. you beat the world number one player. Let's not make it a big deal. If you want to talk about it for a while, then that's fine. The seventeen holes, not eighteen, but I heard it. It was did. eighteen. It was full, and I didn't even warm up. No big deal. Um, Troy Merritt is Troy, that the answer? Yeah, Troy Merritt. Similar, similar move. I don't know if he hits big enough bombs. I want to be a bomber. <laughs> You're not a bomber. I was looking for. Lee but you know what, also. though, now you have the long drive tip. I'm expecting a metamorphosis of your golf swing. Good call. My left Kyle heel Berkshire. is going to be up. Now there is a great idea. Respect. Kyle you've, you've got these long levers. You I should, have huge levers. You should have this big, long golf swing. Lift that front foot up. You might end up with a back fusion, but don't worry. If I had gotten to you a few years earlier, my career could have been a lot different. But there's a guy in town here that ruined me, and I want to bring up his name. But <laughs> I think we all know who I'm talking about. Could have been something special. Could have been something special. All right. <laughs> all right, next question. Is your biggest accomplishment as a teacher getting Derek Anderson to become a legit scratch handicap? Because I think you deserve like a medal of honor for that. Oh, DA is the best. Nicest human on the planet. Um, yeah. His golf game's trending for sure. We've got to get him to a plus golfer then and I'll have accomplished Please something. Please get him He's to a plus. shooting some numbers right now. Legitimate, like I've seen par posted. That's probably because I haven't messed with him recently, but no, <laughs> Chappie's probably got him under control. But no, DA's the best. Is there anyone that wants to be better at golf more than Derek Anderson? Yeah, that's a good question. Mm. That's not one of the questions. That's just a... Yeah, no, a I don't think so. He's... He loves it. He's awesome. Practices it all the time. All right, number eight. Since you have moved to America, are you now a real football fan, or do you still like that game where everybody chases each other around and plays keep away? I'm a massive, massive football fan. You know I'm a big Saints fan. I'm an Auburn fan, Southern Miss fan. I do like English football too. My team, Liverpool, did win just win the premiership for the first time ever. Uh, But no, I'm a Sundays, Saturdays, I am a... Big college football fan. One of the first times we really hung out was in New Orleans. Saints Cowboys. Absolutely. Did we have a time. Oh, we did hello. have a time. Especially because the Saints. Hello. I bet you had a good time. <laughs> he's he's a lot of fun to do those sort of things mm. with. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> mm-hmm. You just have to tell him about it the next day. Yeah, that's true. No, no, no. He was good. He was on his best behavior. I remember that one, actually. Okay. Kinda Saints ish. fan. That's a good team to be rooting for right now. All right. Last question. When you're working with the Seagull, who we've referenced, Mr. Charlie Hoffman. <laughs> Do you find he responds better when you reward him with special special treats like a piece of bread or bird feed? <laughs> Good swing. <laughs> Good swing. Here's a piece of bread. Do it again. 
Well, he does better if you're ordering with probably with cigars and wine. He'd be very good with that. Yeah, uh, I'm you gotta with get the bird big feed. rewards. Yeah, throw some throw some nuts at him next time. Hey, oh. good swing. Awesome. Well, Mark Blackburn, the 2020 PGA Teacher of the Year. Thank you so much. That was an absolute pleasure. Glad to be on here. Thanks for your time. You all do a great job. Everybody, check out the Subpar Podcast. That's the man. Appreciate you. Boom. That was great, dude. Awesome work. And that was PGA of America Teacher and Coach of the Year. Mark Blackburn joining us on Golf Subpar. And Sleaze, I'll be honest, my favorite question of the whole thing was how, when you asked him how he rewarded Charlie Hoffman. <laughs> you got to know how to incentivize your guys. And when you're working with a guy like the Seagull, you got to know what he likes. And shout out to Mark Blackburn for, for dealing with the Seagull on a day-in, day-out basis. I, I wish that on no man. He's, he's an absolute trooper. I love it. He was, he was great. And I hope everyone learned a lot from him. Oh, first off, I learned that he actually slept in the maintenance shed back in the day, which absolutely blew my mind. I was like, Mark, I didn't know times were that rough. You're sleeping in a metal shed. How about that? That's some mini tour stuff right there. That's the real deal. Holyfield hard enough to pull chicks when you're playing on the mini tour. Cause you got no money. You got no nothing. It's even harder when you try to get one back and you're like, Oh, here I am. I live in this maintenance shed. Don't, don't mind. Uh, don't mind the range balls and the dudes working downstairs. It's, it's totally fine. Please, something that wasn't so fantastic was the results of, the gambling contest last week when you stole my number one pick, but I'll give it to you. Congratulations. You do have the honor this week, but this week we're going to do it a little different. The standings are very close. I believe you're down $483,000, but producer Mark, can you explain how we're going to do it this week with the different format in the tour championship? Yeah. So we didn't really think ahead to how this would end on the tour championship. So we're on the fly here. So we're going to have a group A of numbers one through five, which I've randomized. So Colton Drew will give me a number and that will be their pick. Same with six through 10. And then they'll each get an individual pick from outside the top 10. Drew has $483,000 to catch up. And next week we'll have a winner. All right. Well, I, I like the way we're doing this. And producer Mark, blink how many ever times what spot you have Dustin Johnson at. This is this is so suspect, dude. It's the ultimate week. Everything on the line. You guys are in the same room and we're doing random picks. I'm getting jobbed on this deal. No question. Sleaze, you take a vacation during work week. This is what happens. You get punished. Fair enough. I know there's some shitty stuff going on in there, so I will I will appeal this to the hilt if I happen to lose, but I'll go with it right now. Well, just go ahead and mail in your appeal from Bandon Dunes. We'll see you when we get it. It'll be there in about a month. You won last week, so you get to pick first. All right. You I get my first five. random it number. number. All right, my random number in honor of the great Ladanian Tomlinson, TCU San Diego Charger, great. I'm going with number five. Number five has just earned you Justin Thomas. Oh, could be worse. Okay, could be a three. lot worse. Let's go. Oh, boy. All right, Mark, give me some signals here. I need something good. All right. Close. Mm. Well, I feel like I'm going to be number one at the end of this, so I'm just going to go with number one and see where see if he left DJ up there. Well, uh, all conspiracy theories out the windows because number one gets you Webb Simpson. Oh, that's fine. Damn. All right. Pretty uh, even, dude. Coming off coming off an off week. Should be rested up and ready to go. Yeah, all pretty right. even split there. So now we go to six through ten. And because I love Billy Bob because he's a ten, I'm going to go number ten. <laughs> Arguably one of the most consistent players throughout this year, Daniel Berger. I'll take it. I'll take it. That's a nice scoop. All right, I'm going to stay with my trend of all-time favorite football players. I'm going to go with number seven for the great Jonathan Elway. Who we got? Hideki Matsuyama. Okay. 
He's going to shoot a million this week. Do you see how he hit it on the weekend? Wouldn't mm. have been the guy I would have picked, so that's a little sticky. Okay. All right. All right. Now we're going to go to the bottom part, numbers 20 through 30, and we actually get to pick our guys there. So this is where I believe we can overlap, so it doesn't matter if you or I go first. Um, from 20 to 25, I will go ahead and start it out with a man who grew up, went to school not too far from there. He's a bulldog. I look for him to make a big push this week. Kevin Kisner is my number three pick this week. All right, Kevin Kisner, that's a good pick. That is hard to argue with. Actually, that would have been my pick, but I'm sticking with my theme of never overlapping with you. So I'm going to go with the next best option, I believe, starting at minus one, and that's Abe Answer. Great iron player. Hasn't been quite as nails as he was earlier in the season, but I can't have the same guy as you, so I got to go somewhere, and I think the next best, op next, next best option is Abe Answer out of that category. Wow, absolutely no love for Tony Fino. I thought for sure you would go that direction. That's shocking to me. All right, but it's on to 26 to 30. The guys coming in at even par. They have 10 shots to make up, so they're going to have to really press the gas pedal. I'm going to let you do the honors on the 26 to 30 guys. Okay, 26 to 30. I really like this guy. He just snuck in on the number. He's got nothing to lose whatsoever and got a pretty damn good track history around here, Colty, if you if you remember. But Mr. Billy Horschel, the Florida Gator, got to go with Billy Boy. Yep, he's uh, he's been known to make some good runs in the FedEx Cup playoffs. I like that pick. Was also a guest of Gravy in the Sleeves on Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio this past week. Correct. All right, for my final pick, I'm going with the man who's battling it out for Rookie of the Year with Scotty Scheffler. A man who loves himself some hobby metal, Victor Hovland. He's going to have a big week around Eastlake and hopefully make me some cash so you have to carry my bag here soon at Whisper Rock Golf Club. Take that thing light, brother. Hobby was the right pick out of there on the second one. You know what I'm shocked by? Neither of us took Mark Leishman in as good a form as he's in right now. I really liked what I saw out there at the BMW, gutted it out to a plus 30 finish. <laughs> I couldn't believe what I was seeing, and there's nothing worse than a no-cut event. When you got to play four rounds and you just have no sense of form whatsoever. First off, neither of us should ever shit on guys' performances. We're the ones talking about them. So don't ever hate on Mark, Leish Mark Leishman. He's a fantastic player. He's just in a little funk right now. Dude, if anyone can relate to plus 30 and hating every single second of being out there, it's Sleaze Man right here. I've done it before. All righty. Well, that was a lot of fun. Best of luck to you at the Tour Championship, Sleaze, and also out at Bandon Dunes. Hope everyone has a great week, and we'll talk to you on next week's Golf Subpar. 